I feel like I was just living like everybody else. I didn't, I, I was just living just to kind of fit in. Yeah, hopeless also, just uh, not really hope for my future. I would just be a terrible person, but also just kind of be so lost. I wasn't sure my path in life. I didn't understand the purpose of life. I think I'd just be a mess of like selfishness. And Christ said, um, my best friend <laughs> who just poured into me. She was um, the person that introduced me to Christ. I think that with Jesus, I have peace for my life. I'm a better person when I genuinely wake up every morning and think, what can I do to serve him best? I'm like the best I can be. I feel like I became a different person. I think with Jesus, I'm loved. It makes life worth living, and it, it makes every day so much better, just solely because I know where my identity is. Really fulfilling, knowing that um, you know, God has built a home for me and um, will always be with me. Our daily struggle, our daily rat race we live in, we tend to sometimes forget that he's always there, he's always looking out. Jesus gives me a purpose. There's a couple little trickles to clap. That's worth clapping for. There's a, just fun seeing even in our own church family, just lives that have been impacted and changed by this gospel message. We're not just doing a, a big to-do here and events and partying and celebrating for no reason. It's because God changes lives. Well, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Hopefully you've already been blessed and encouraged. Who couldn't be happy watching these kids? Uh, and, and so just, uh, just fun celebrating uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's been a great weekend already. We had a, a ton of people here yesterday for this extravaganza. Hopefully some of you were even blessed and encouraged by that time with the kids. And then Friday evening, I thought it was one of the more powerful times we've had together celebrating Good Friday. And we went through really the, the opposite side of this where this Jesus is Lord. We talked about Jesus being Savior. And we talked about all the different things because a lot of times that's a, a broad and general term. All the different things that we've been saved from. We focused on a, specifically on three different ones. I thought it was a, a big deal. Saved from a, a life without meaning, an existence that literally is more than just going back to dirt at the end of it. It was an important conversation we had on Friday night. We talked about being saved from posturing and performance, no longer trying to meet some unattainable standard of perfection. We're saved from that. We talked about probably one of the more important aspects of eternity separated from God, being saved from that. And it's really powerful to look at all of those things that we're saved from. And so this morning, to kind of continue in that vein of celebrating what we've been saved from, what I've provided here is we're going to have an open mic. And starting in the back of the room, moving forward, we're going to have people come forward and share a major sin that you were saved from. <laughs> April Fools, we're not really going to do that. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I couldn't resist. And so we're, we're, we're not going to do that. We're going to actually turn a corner and talk. Some of you were, there was panic settling in. <laughs> Instead, we're going to move the conversation and talk about Jesus, not just as Savior, but also as Lord. A lot of times we, we, we kind of stop with the story of his resurrection. He was raised again from the dead, but then what? What's after that? It's a pretty powerful description found in Ephesians chapter 1, that describes upon his resurrection where he went from there, if you will. Love this description. It says, what was the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, 
according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Do you catch that? That's the perfect description of Jesus post-resurrection, was elevated to his rightful position of authority and being Lord over all. I love that the author, Paul, is making sure we're crystal clear that there's not some part of it that you're like, well, was he maybe not elevated above this person? He's like, no, I covered all my bases, every authority, every power. And in case you think someone maybe down the line might come along, he's like, no, I covered that too. In other words, this is the big idea. I want to make sure all of us understand. Jesus is now Lord over everything and everyone. Jesus is Lord over everything and everyone. That's a powerful statement to make here on on Easter Sunday, but it's completely accurate. I like how Webster describes this title of Lord, the definition that he gives. I found it interesting reading this. One having power and authority over others. A ruler by hereditary right or preeminence to whom service and obedience are due pretty powerful description, especially when you start attaching that to ourselves personally. So when we make the claim to say, Jesus is our Lord, what does that actually mean in the here and now? What does that, how, how does that, that play out? How does that influence kind of the way we interact, the way we see things? It changes everything. See, the, the idea of Jesus is saved is an easy one for anybody to adopt, like anybody. In fact, we see it on signs, on bumper stickers, and in end zones, because everybody likes the idea of Jesus saving them. I mean, who wouldn't like the idea of someone making all of your wrongs right, and especially someone carrying all the heavy lifting on your behalf? That's a popular idea, but this idea of Lord is a very different one. It changes things because it means that there's someone else driving the ship. You no longer get to be the one in complete control. You're submitting to the leadership of God Almighty. Pretty powerful understanding. No longer can Frank Sinatra say, hey, I got to do it my way. No longer do you get to say that. All of a sudden, if you claim him as Lord, it transfers into really recognizing him as the leader and submitting to his lead in our life. Talked a lot about this message with, with Chad, our worship director here, and just talking about this idea of, of authority and why that's something that we often cringe at thinking about with this idea of like, oh, wait a second, him as authority. I don't know about that idea because authority is often attached to this word authoritarian. Have you heard that before? You, even just seeing that on the screen, it evokes a lot of images in our mind that aren't necessarily great pictures, right? We don't necessarily have, we're not exactly surrounded with great images of someone in authority. I thought of a few samples here as one. Anybody recognize this guy? You can't handle the truth. That's right. That's right. Or maybe some of the, the Star Wars fans can associate with this next one. Like not exactly the authority figure I'm interested in submitting to, right? Uh, there wasn't, wasn't really a choice for that guy in particular there. But this idea of authority 
or probably even more closer to reality what we've experienced in our world. How about this picture of authority being abused? Look at the, the sea of people influenced during that era by a one bad leader. So we have attached so often authoritarian to authority, and we have negative things that come to mind. And maybe even if you're honest with yourself and you look back across the landscape of your life, you can point to, to personally times where authority has been abusive, whether it's a, a leader, a teacher, a, a, a coach, a parent. A lot of times that leaves us tainted and our natural response when we're tainted to views of authority is say, all right, then I'm just going to do it my way. I'm going to go down my own path. I'm going to drive the ship myself. But what if that's missing the best of what we are designed for? What if it had to do with choosing the right person in authority rather than avoiding authority at all? What if choosing the right authority was marked with healing, fulfillment, and peace? That's what I would suggest we're going to see in our story this morning that we're going to look at is someone that does submit to the right authority, being Jesus Christ, and all that that offered for him. Let me pray before we dive into this story. God, I thank you so much already for this chance to be in your house and celebrating your resurrection, and I pray now as we explore what that resurrection means that you are Lord, that you're preeminent over all, would literally ring in our minds to the ramifications of that reality that we were designed to submit to your authority. We're going to see this morning, I'm confident, that that is not such a bad thing. Pray that you teach us through this text that you'd be great and I would be small. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. I often, when we're together, I have an opportunity for you to open your Bibles and actually read along. I'm being very nice on Easter, and we're going to put things on the screen. This account of this, this story is found both in Matthew and Luke. We're going to focus primarily on this story found in Matthew, and it's a, a neat uh, story. It's really just a backdrop of it. It's fairly early in Jesus's public ministry, where he's just establishing a name for himself, if you will, where he's kind of uh, hovering around the, the area where he was brought up and kind of spending time in that region. And literally, the thing that's happening is people are seeing him heal. People, they're hearing his teaching with authority. But what they haven't quite figured out yet is who is this Jesus character? Who is this man that's doing this? Even his closest disciples up until this point, when they're asked that question, they're not quite sure what to say. They, they haven't figured out. And we're about to be introduced to a man that actually seems to get it. Take a look at our story in Matthew. It says this, When he'd entered Capernaum, a city close to where he grew up, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Little explanation of this, what a centurion would, would be, would be a, a Roman leader in the military there, and he would be responsible for how many men? Century 100. Nice math job there, guys. Great job. So over responsible for 100 people, and what his primary job in, uh, in that vicinity would be to control the people and make sure that there weren't any major uprisings. 
So do you think a, a Jew under a, a Roman occupation, would this be a, a, one of the people that you like look forward to spending time with or somebody that is like a, a primary enemy number one? Which do you think? Uh, he's a, he'd be considered a bad guy. Although it's interesting in this context, we read about the account of it in Luke, is that this man was actually somebody that was well-received by Jews. Something special about him. Maybe just the way he treated them was maybe with respect or dignity. We don't know exactly all the background, but we do get a glimpse about his character because who is he concerned with? He's not concerned with his own health. He's concerned with his servant's health. Now, in that the, the hierarchical system that they had there, a servant was barely seen higher than literally a, a piece of farm equipment. They, they were very expendable. So this tells me something about this man that he's not the typical dirtbag Roman soldier. He actually has a compassion and heart. So he's coming to Jesus, the only person that he knows of that could maybe rescue his servant that we're learning is paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. So we see in this interaction how Jesus responds. Take a look in verse 7 here in the text. It says, And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, kind of an unusual reply, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Let's pause there for a moment. So here's what's happening. Jesus, when he's presented with the need, how does he respond? I'll, I'll show up. I'll, I'll go heal this man. Do you think it would have been a, a popular thing for Jesus to go into a, a Roman's home and, and, and heal somebody? No, that would have made him ceremonially unclean. This was a big deal. You did not spend time with Gentiles. But Jesus is more concerned with the, the health of this man than any kind of uh, performance or what people are going to think about him. So he's like, hey, I'll, I'll do it. Just, uh, uh, just point me in the right direction. Not as if he needed to point in the right direction. But you get the idea. So the centurion, though, look at his response. He tells him, don't bother coming. Like that's kind of a, a unique response to this offer, isn't it? You could almost receive that as a little bit like, almost rude, right? Are you kidding me? Like, why, why would you say no, no thank you to me coming and healing him? But he explains the reason why, and this is important. He saw something that other people around him didn't see. He understood how authority worked. He understood who Jesus was. Two different times in these little sections of verses, it re he refers to Jesus as Lord. Now, if you knew, know anything about that culture, that's not something that you throw around lightly, and it's not a term or a title that a Roman would ever in their lifetime give to a Jewish man who would be considered subservient to them. This, is, this, this was a title that was based on an understanding of who Jesus was. That's why he's about to be celebrated for his faith. He recognized that, hey, this isn't just an ordinary man. This is God in the flesh, Lord. This is Lord. He acknowledges him as Lord, and he understood just based on his own experience, man, if the Lord says it's going to happen, and he explains it, he's just like, man, I, I understand. I'm under authority. If I'm told to do something, uh, I, I do it. If I tell the person below me to do something, they do it. The same is true for him. He's saying, you have as Lord authority 
over this disease and sickness. And if you tell it to be taken care of, you don't even have to show up because that's who you are. Pretty impressive, right? Pretty awesome idea of faith that he understood. And Jesus acknowledges that. Look how Jesus responds in the, in the text there next. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Think about that for a moment, that statement with all of, his, the, all of his disciples gathered around and all of these Jews that are primarily making up his audience. Do you think that made them feel pretty good or kind of uh, like this? But the centurion, this, this, this Roman soldier is like, man, all right, finally somebody's acknowledging that I, that, that I see something in him. You see, most likely this man had kind of reversed engineered this whole idea. He's watched the healing. He's heard him preach with authority, and he's come to the conclusion that Jesus is Lord. What is it that he actually saw that everybody else didn't notice? I would suggest that it's two primary things that he recognized here in the, in the text, two primary things. He is Lord over all and not me. He is Lord over all and not me. That's an important conclusion for every single one of us to come to in our life that we recognize, man, I'm not the one driving the ship. And really, if you think about that, that shouldn't be too hard of a delusion to dispel in your life. You have no idea what's coming next. You might have some ideas of what's coming next. You didn't know that you're going to be invited up to share your sins on this mic. You didn't know, well, maybe you knew that the confetti was coming. But you see, there's a lot of things in our life, the majority of them, we have no idea What's next for us to come to that realization is a healthy piece of coming to the Lord. I like the, the story this last week. I don't know if you're paying attention to sporting news, talking about someone that didn't see what was coming next. There's a gentleman by the name of Scott Foster, an accountant in Chicago, who has uh, played some, some uh, hockey back in his uh, college years, and until then had kind of followed a, a career in accounting. Well, the Chicago Blackhawks, true story this past week. Anybody heard the story already? The Chicago Blackhawks had their primary goalie get hurt. They brought in their secondary goalie. Their secondary goalie got hurt. Then they started panicking to a degree. They started bringing different guys up from their farm league, which is kind of protocol. They brought up one guy from the farm league. He got hurt. They brought up a second guy from the, uh, from the farm league, and he was going to start this particular hockey game. Well, they get a, a call in to Scott. Scott leaves, I like his name, Scott leaves his accounting job, which is very close to the Chicago stadium, goes over, and they tell him, Scott, we're going to need you to suit up. This guy's only been playing in rec leagues hockey. You're like, are, are you kidding me? So about... Three quarters, well, there's about 13 minutes left in the game. The backup of the backup of the backup of the backup got hurt also, started getting cramps. So they call Scott. Here's a, here's a picture of him. They call Scott, the accountant, out on the ice for the last, it was either 13 or 14 minutes. He goes out there. Now, granted, they're already up 6-2. But he goes out there, has seven saves, a flawless performance, the other team never scores again in the game. Isn't that awesome? Like, Scott, Scott 
did not see that coming. One, that was kind of a commercial break, but two, an opportunity for us to think for a second about this idea. We don't know what's next. God is the only one in control, and for us to come to him, that's the starting point to say, man, I am I'm not in control. This delusion that I am, I'm putting that on the shelf. The second thing is he recognized, I'm unworthy to be in his presence based on my history. I'm unworthy to be in his presence based on my history. This centurion, I'm thinking when he's considering the idea of Jesus coming to his home, he's not thinking to himself, oh, I haven't swept, swept up the rooms, I haven't cleaned, you know, my, my, my laundry is still sitting out. No, that's not the basis for why he's uncomfortable. It says that he sees himself as unworthy. He recognizes his sinful state before a perfect God. For us, even thinking about that in this, this room, it probably, if you would have been comfortable with this microphone, not that hard for us to fill the remainder of our service with some content. Any amens there? Do you, do you think we could have come up with a few things if you searched past your history and all that you've done, any regrets? I could have done the open mic for the remainder of the time, but glad we didn't do that. But here's the, the, the reason I bring that up. Both of those are a position of the heart prior to coming to Jesus, recognizing that he's reigning over all this. You're not the one driving the ship and you don't deserve to be in his presence based on all of your shortcomings and failings. That's where this guy, if you're going to say he got it, that's why he got it. He understood. He came before Jesus, the only one that could rescue him, and we'll see if that actually paid off. Jesus continues in the next couple of verses rebuking the Jewish audience and promising that someday this was going to be extended to Gentiles, not just Jews. And then in verse 13, we see his response to the request. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Pretty awesome response, right? Imagine this guy that's been paralyzed. We don't know if it's from the neck down, waist down. Either way, this man has been unable to move. All of a sudden, in the very moment that Jesus speaks it, all of a sudden, nerves reconnected, muscles restored, ability to rise. Man, this guy's life was changed. My question for you. Do you think that man or the centurion ever looked back on this experience and said to himself, you know what, that whole trusting Jesus as Lord, that was a mistake. What, what, what was I thinking? That, that, that was foolishness. That, that, was, that was unwise to submit to that type of leader. Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? Like, there, there's no point. And even for us today, we could again pass the mic in the room. There's so many that would say, you know what? I could never turn back. After I've embraced Christ, my life has changed radically. There's no part of it that I would ever regret giving over authority to him. I would suggest the more and more that we do, the more you're just like, oh man, I'm glad I handed that off to him. Oh, I'm glad I handed that. All of a sudden you realize his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He doesn't have something, this is important for you to hear, that he's trying to get from you. He's not lacking anything. 
There's not something is like, oh man, if I, if I finally got a hold of, of Rob's checkbook, man, I could do something for the kingdom pretty awesome. If I finally got her to submit in this area of her life. Like, no, there's nothing that he's short on, so he's not taking advantage of you. He, as a loving king, wants the very best for you. Submitting to a loving king is not a bad idea. In fact, I would propose it's the best possible decision that somebody could make. I jotted down just a couple of things on the other side of that decision to, to submit to his authority. His authority in our lives allows us to avoid countless pitfalls. When you're younger, you think that God's keeping you from all the good stuff. As you get older, you're like, ah, eh, actually, maybe he knew what he was talking about. The, the things that promise freedom when we're younger actually promise addiction when we're older. So that's one of the things that his authority does. His authority walks us through trials that still come. I don't want to pitch some kind of a false gospel here. We still have hard stuff that happens. Anytime you're surrounded with a, a, bil, a planet of billions of self-gods, people doing life independent of God, don't you think there's going to be some trials? But he promises even in that, in his authority, he's going to walk through that with us. That's an awesome thing under his authority. His authority also leads towards what satisfies and not what disappoints. And if you had something in your life that you're chasing after, and you're like, oh man, if I, if I ever got to this, man, wouldn't that, then my life is going to be complete. If I ever got this job, if I ever met this woman, if I ever, if I ever got, uh, acquired this, this new house or new car, oh man. And then you get to the other end of it, and you're disappointed. It was kind of like me moving here from Chicago and trying In-N-Out burgers. I was just like, you know, sorry, that got a boo, boo, a boo in the last audience. This idea, this idea of being drawn to things that satisfy not to what disappoints is what comes on the end of his authority in our life. His authority ultimately also includes a life-giving relationship with him. For those of us, if we're honest with ourselves at the core of who we are, we all long to know and be known. And that's what Jesus offers. He knows us intimately. He knows us perfectly. He designed us. He wants that relationship where we have the ability to interact with him, to bring all of our cares to him that we weren't intended to carry ourselves. All of that ultimately concludes with eternity with him in heaven in a place that he's been working on for 2,000 years. I'm guessing it's going to be a pretty awesome spot. All of that is on the other end of submitting to his authority. What we learn in scripture is that at some point, every single knee will bow, every single tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we can either get a head start on that, or we can wait for it to play itself out. I would suggest we miss so much by waiting on it, rather than making the choice to submit ourselves. So that leads us to kind of the application part. So, so with this, what do I do with this? How do I respond to this invitation to him being Lord? What about me? Easter 2018, what do I do with this? I like an illustration that uh, Tony Evans, a pastor, uh, gives kind of talking about responding to things. He tells a story about really enjoying going to restaurants. I don't know if there's any foodies in the group here that enjoy a good restaurant. It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I don't know if that counts as a, as a pastime or not, but uh, if it could. But you show up at a nice restaurant, what's the very first thing that they 
hand you when you've sat down. They hand you what? A menu. If you're at a nice restaurant, that's a very tough decision process time, right? You're kind of going through, you're reading through all the options, and if it's a nicely laid out menu, you're just like, oh man, there's so many. I, I can hardly decide because there's so much good stuff. So then what happens after you've been given the menu? Then they have someone named a waiter that comes over and eloquently, usually in some kind of a, uh, accent that they probably weren't born with, uh, they, they explain to you all of the wonderful options on that menu, right? They, they explain it to you. My, my wife has a tendency to then ask the waiter, what is your favorite thing on the menu? Anybody else do that in the room, the room here? I don't really care because my taste, my taste might be different than theirs. But anyway, you get the idea. So they eloquently walk you through, oh, this was prepared and sautéed. I don't know. I'm not going to do it. But you get the idea. And they go through the specials. They go through the, uh, all of that. And then after they finished, what happens next? You pack up and go home. No, you don't. You don't pack up and go home. What do you do next? You choose to pick something and partake. You don't want to just hear, you don't want to just read a, a, a description of it. You don't want to just hear a fancy presentation of it. You want to partake and see it for yourself. Your taste buds want to experience what was described on the page, what was spoken about, what I would suggest on Easter 2018. None of us showed up here to see some, have something read. Nobody showed up here to hear some fancy presentation. You're pushed to choose if you're going to respond. Choose to actually order what's been presented. So... We'll keep it fairly simple. This is a chance for those of us that have maybe never in our life. Like we can't, and when we look back past all of our days, we can't point to a time where we've ever bent our knee and said, Jesus, I embrace you as Lord. Romans is so crystal clear in this explanation for us. Romans 10, 9 tells us the simple explanation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's simple. It's a belief. It's belief in who God is. God, Jesus, in the form of a, of a man, came down, lived the perfect life, died a, a miserable sacrifice on a cruel Roman cross, but then didn't remain dead, was raised again on the third day. That's what we're celebrating here. And then elevated as Lord over all. And the invitation is to acknowledge that this morning to publicly say, it says it right there, confess with your mouth, to say it with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. It's a belief that comes out and is expressed verbally. So we're going to give just a few moments of silence here, and in some churches they might say with your heads bowed. I'm saying, hey, let's just keep our heads up. This is a conscious choice. In the few moments of silence here, if that's a decision you've never made, this is the opportunity for you to do that. Say, I, I confess Jesus is Lord. Just saying those three words, Jesus is Lord, might be the very first step in embracing him as Savior. They're going to be quiet for a moment, allow you to choose if that's something that you want to partake in, if that's something on the menu that you're like, all right, I, I'm in. I'm in. I'll be quiet. So your response this morning, if you've never made that decision before, is to say those words, Jesus is Lord. It's an eternity redirecting decision. I'll be 
quiet while you take a few moments to consider that. guessing in this room there's probably somebody that feels that tug right now and they're just pleading they're like please pastor get on to the last song please move past this i'm just giving just another moment just for that that invitation to respond it's the best thing possible to submit to a loving king he wants the very best for you he's got plans for you to prosper not to not to hinder anything just giving you a few more moments if that's a decision you want to make this morning just belt it out. Jesus is Lord. Say that statement. awesome thing is that invitation is literally hanging out there till we breathe our very last breath. Any moment, any time, that's something that you can call out to him to say, Jesus, I, I embrace you as Lord. I want you to reign and rule. I trust what you've done on the cross, the finished work there. It's an ongoing invitation. I want to talk to one more audience just as the choir comes up for our last song. The rest of us that maybe have at some point in our life, embraced him as Savior, have, have claimed him as Lord. But if you're honest with yourself, when you look across kind of your days, your weeks, your hours, you can't honestly say that you operate as if he's actually Lord. You can't say that. If there's a private investigator investigating your life and they started inspecting and looking behind the curtain, they, 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 they wouldn't come up with any evidence that he's actually Lord of your life. Your actions aren't based on that. Your decision process isn't. Your, your interactions, your choice of what's on the calendar, your, your choice of priorities, none of those point to that decision. I'm gonna be just quiet for a moment, even for you to wrestle through that. And here's the awesome thing. Man, it's just, a, it's just confessing it to him. Coming before God, I'm sorry. You have not been operating as Lord in my life. And I wanna come back to that. I want to elevate you as that. Even here this morning, I want to redirect who's driving the ship. Be quiet just for a moment and then close in prayer for you to consider that. God, this morning we're so grateful 
for your choice to reach out to us, not leaving us to our failed attempts at reaching you, but literally coming down, engaging with us, living amongst us, allowing us to hang you on a cruel cross, and then having victory over death, providing the way back to yourself, providing the opportunity for eternity in relationship with you. God, we praise you for that. We celebrate you for that this morning. You're such a, a good and awesome and faithful God. We praise you and celebrate you in song. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's 
like that idea of getting a head start on claiming him as Lord. Amen. I pray you have a wonderful Easter. God bless you. Thanks for being here this morning.